Welcome to More Than 7 Dirty Words, the official FCC podcast. I'm Evan Schwarztrapper. Do you watch free over-the-air television using an antenna? Well, you might have seen a notice from a local organization, the FCC, or the station you're watching that you need to rescan your television. So what's going on and what's behind this broadcast repack? Joining me to discuss is Gene Cadu, chair of the FCC's Incentive Auction Task Force. Gene, thanks for joining. Thank you for having us. And also joining is Hillary DeNegro, Deputy Chair of the Incentive Auction Task Force. Hillary, thanks for joining. Hi there. Thanks for having us. So before we dive into rescanning your TV, always start the show the same way. Gene, how did you get to be the Chair of the Incentive Auction Task Force? Well, I'd like to say that it was something I I tried to achieve my whole life, uh, Evan, but uh, I was just lucky. Uh, I was in private practice as a lawyer practicing telecommunications law for over 30 years in firms in Washington, and I practiced before the FCC as well as state regulatory commissions. Uh, And as I uh, came sort of toward the end of my career, I realized that I really wanted to do a little bit of public service. And I was lucky enough to be hired by the FCC. I had heard from friends who had been at the FCC, who had come into private practice, that the FCC was the most interesting and stimulating job that they'd ever had. And I thought it was a good opportunity for me to be able to experience it. And I must say that in my four and a half years here, it's co- that, that, that prediction has come true. I, I have really been amazed at the caliber and uh, uh, intelligence and responsibility and dedication of the people that I've had the privilege to, to work with here. That's great, but I just want to be clear, when you were asked in first grade what your dream job is, it was not chair of the FCC's Incentive Auction Task Force. Unlike some former chairman, that's correct. <laughs> Very disappointing. <laughs> and Hillary, how did you get to be deputy chair? Um, I have a longer tenure than Jean here at the commission. I've been uh, with the commission for about 18 years now, and I've had a lot of different roles. Uh, I think Jean's right. It's an exciting job. It's an exciting place to work. There's always a lot of new and uh, compelling projects to get involved in. This project was uh, something I was asked to work on when I was with the Media Bureau uh, to help plan the transition that we're going through now and have been on the task force now for about three years, walking through both the planning and now the implementation of the transition. So for those Americans that don't have the privilege and pleasure of constantly following the world of telecom, what's going on? Why are they getting these messages saying, rescan your TV at X time? Well, Evan, important changes are coming to on the over-the-air television, uh, viewers who watch TV with an antenna, either a rooftop or an indoor antenna, uh, are going to need to rescan their televisions to pick up new frequencies. We are rearranging the broadcast spectrum for television uh, uh, providers in order to free up a, a, a scarce resource, which is radio waves. Uh, there, there are fewer and fewer of them available and more and more demands on them. And so we try to be as efficient as we can in how we allocate them. And we have now uh, reorganized the TV TV bands in order for us to be able to free up spectrum for new wireless mobile broadband uses. More capacity, new 5G technologies that are coming online all need airwaves. And so we are reorganizing TV to make make that space available. Yeah, consumers, uh, you've been watching a lot of video on your phones over the past few years, and the demand for mobile broadband has just gone up exponentially. So this is one thing that um, Congress and the FCC decided they uh, would rearrange some of this spectrum to free up uh, airwaves for mobile broadband. And why is there available spectrum for TV that maybe there wouldn't have been 
20 years ago if we, if we had tried to contemplate something similar? Well, two things, two things have happened. About 10 years ago, we reorganized and converted television broadcasting from an analog process to a digital transmission system. That created additional capacity. And that's why if you're an over-the-air viewer, you've seen additional channels coming online. So multicast, right? Multicast or sub-channels, which each TV station that had one 6 megahertz television analog channel was now able to, once it went digital, to broadcast maybe even four, maybe even five channels on the same amount of spectrum. So they become more efficient, able to broadcast more. And that's why we're seeing all these multicast channels. We also realized that there was space between broadcast broadcast channels that we didn't need anymore. And we could compact the space a bit and be able to to squeeze more broadcast into less frequencies, uh, which is our scarce resource. So so that's how we managed to do it. We also incentivized a number of broadcasters to relinquish their pre-auction, their channels. Uh, to be able to turn them back in. Uh, most of them, the majority of them, are now broadcasting and sharing a multicast channel with other stations, uh, so they're able to, to continue to be on the air, but they've relinquished their channel to us, and we were able to then turn that around and make that channel available to uh, wireless carriers. And of course, the incentive we're talking about is money. And um, there were wireless carriers like your uh, your cell phone company. There were others that bid on this spectrum, some cable companies, satellite as well. So they bid on the spectrum. And then correct me if I'm wrong, a combination of some money going to the broadcasters and then some money going to the U.S. Treasury. Do you have the top line numbers there? So I have the top line numbers. The top line numbers are big. Uh, uh, what we did, let me back up just one step for, for listeners. Uh, the way that we reallocated this spectrum was to hold an auction. And it was a complicated auction where we uh, offered to buy spectrum from broadcasters and then turn around and sell it to wireless carriers in the same auction. And uh, it was complicated because we didn't know what we were going to be able to sell to wireless carriers until the broadcasters came in and, and bid on our 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 auction. Uh, we, we accomplished this. It took about a year to do it, um, but we raised uh, nearly $20 billion from wireless carriers, which we were then able to turn around and pay the, the auction price for broadcasters who were relinquishing their channels, which is about t- a little bit over $10 billion. Uh, we also raised enough money to cover our costs to help stations who were remaining on the air, but we're going to be asking to move their frequencies to cover their costs of doing that with about $7.3 billion left over to the U.S. Treasury for deficit reduction. So we think it was a really successful auction. Uh, we encouraged broadcasters to relinquish Spectrum. We, we capitalized a lot of their, um, their business to be able to have them expand and offer new services. They were majority of them remaining on the air. We're compensating the broadcasters who we've made uh, move uh, channels, which is expensive. It costs money to buy new antennas and new transmitters, so we need to reimburse them. And we had money, a lot of money, left over for the treasury and deficit reduction. Right. And unlike the 2009 digital TV transition, when, correct me if I'm wrong, it was essentially a all-in-one situation. The whole country almost went to digital at the same exact time. This is different, which is why it's important that consumers are notified because we've got 10 phases, right? So how does a consumer now or someone listening to this know when do I rescan? Is it this month? Is it next month? Is it a year from now? How can they figure this out? Uh, any station that we've asked to move, we asked about a thousand stations nationwide 
uh, to change frequencies. So there are about a thousand stations that are affected by this. Uh, uh, what we've asked them to do is to make sure that they notify their viewers of the changes that are coming and when their particular change will take place. And they notify their viewers through either on-screen crawls, which are those text messages that go across the top or the bottom of a television screen, and public service announcements. And they do that at least 30 days in advance of their rescan day. Uh, and so viewers will start to see that. Now, importantly, all viewers of that channel will see those messages because they're on the station's feed. So every viewer will see it. But only the, the viewers who watch with a TV antenna uh, will be affected and need to take action. If a viewer subscribes to cable or satellite service, the viewer doesn't need to do anything. The cable or satellite provider will take care of that in its network, and, and the viewer doesn't need to do that. But if you have an antenna and you watch free over-the-air TV, you'll need to take action when that rescan day comes. Right, and the way you explain this, it makes it sound like it was so simple because you explain it succinctly, but this is not simple. This is complicated. And it started with a law passed in 2012 by Congress directing the FCC to do the auction. Then we do the auction. Then things have to be moved around. So, Hillary, I want to bring you in because this ecosystem is not just, you know, the FCC, wireless carriers, and some stations that are affected. There's all sorts of other stakeholders involved in this. The people that make antennas, uh, the tower crews that, of course, Commissioner Carr's office are very familiar with, uh, that have to climb these towers and replace the antennas. So what sort of coordination are you and the task force doing to get all these people together and make sure everyone's talking to each other? You're absolutely right. This is a very complicated process. And um, we envisioned it as being a phased process in order to account for the resource limitations that are inherent in um, the tower climbing industry and the antenna manufacturing industry that you've noted, and also uh, the interference concerns that are implicated when you move television stations from one frequency to another. We um, started a year before the auction ended in trying to account for all of these issues and um, got some top-level applied mathematicians involved in taking account of all the different data points that we'd need to um, uh, make room for in order to make this work. And we gathered data from the industry uh, participants at the ground level, from tower crews to manufacturers to broadcasters. And uh, we put together two tools, one that told us what order the stations needed to move in in order to avoid interference concerns, and another to account for the amount of time each of the different tasks related to a transition, a construction project really, would take, the planning for that construction project, the permitting for it, how long people would have to be on the tower to get an antenna down and put a new antenna up. And we um, allowed for contingencies, uh, the unknowns that come from weather and uh, uh, un unexpected delays in uh, construction projects. Yeah, and a thousand foot tower uh, weather is obviously extremely important. The dangerous uh, concerns and are, are much different when you're dealing with thousand or two thousand foot broadcast tower as opposed to a 50 foot wireless monopole exactly and we've already heard from some crews about weather challenges and obviously the task force is constantly in contact with these crews and these stations to account for these concerns exactly we've got um flexibility within our plan to look at the needs of a station 
that's faced some of these uh, challenges, and we've made hundreds and hundreds of changes to the plan on um, individual bases uh, concerning the particular needs of that station and how to keep the station on air while the transition still proceeds without causing interference to other stations. And we're going to continue to look at those issues. Right. And uh, I just asked Hillary about all the various industry stakeholders that are involved. Gene, who at the FCC is involved in this? I mean, people who are familiar with the FCC might think, okay, this is broadcasting, so it's the media bureau. But uh, how, you know, how has the agency dealt with this? This has been a massive effort that has involved virtually every corner of the commission over the course of the project. Uh, obviously, the Wireless Bureau was intimately involved in all of the issues that had to do with allocating the spectrum and selling it to the uh, wireless carriers. Uh, their auctions division, which is in our Office of Economics and uh, Analytics, was involved in actually running and, and planning for the auction. We had a an unbelievable optimization team to do all of the complicated calculations that Hillary was mentioning in terms of how were we going to organize these and, and, and repack these stations into a smaller band. Um, incredibly complicated. Uh, the Media Bureau, obviously, uh, as you say, is the most obvious one because it, it was the broadcast incentive auction and, and their constituency is, is the broadcast industry. The Office of Economics and Technology was involved in all of the, of the complicated interference issues. Consumer and Governmental Affairs is involved because there's a very substantial viewer um, uh, concern here that we need to make sure we accommodate and make sure viewers understand what's happening. So basically the entire commission, which is why the, the commissioners set up a task force back in 2012, was to really uh, uh, undertake this and be able to coordinate and manage all of these different aspects of the commission uh, in one place. They all had to function together. And uh, one of the things that uh, I would uh, I want to mention is that uh, the FCC actually won uh, the Franz Edelman Award in Operations Research and Analytics last year. Uh, that award is given by the association called INFORMS, which is the Association for, for Analytics and, and uh, Optim op uh, Operations Research. And it's kind of the Nobel Prize in the field. It is highly, highly respected. And the FCC actually won it, which is quite an achievement for a government agency and a recognition of just how complicated and data-intensive this project was uh, and how the FCC had really accomplished what I think back in 2012 many skeptics thought was totally impossible. And the auction was a tremendous success. As I said, it, it, it did exactly what we wanted it to do. It made, it made 84 megahertz of, of valuable spectrum available uh, to wireless carriers. Uh, it's accommodating all of the broadcast carriers or broadcast stations. And, uh, and we, uh, we, we really achieved the kind of efficiency that we wanted to achieve. And some listeners might have seen news stories about uh, wireless carriers helping stations move early so that they can deploy uh, wireless broadband in the 600 megahertz band. And when we think about, you know, the transition to 5G, it's going to be a mix of low, mid, and high bands. So it's not just these super high bands that you might have heard the FCC auctioning recently. 600 megahertz is also going to come into play. It also helps with alleviating some of the congestion caused by uh, wireless uh relieve some of the congestion caused by people watching a ton of video and all the you know bandwidth intensive uh, data consumption that's been going on. Um, where do things stand now? So we mentioned that there's this 10 phase process. As we sit here on April 5th discussing this topic, where are we at? So, so the auction ended uh, in April of 2015. 
2017, sorry, it seems longer <laughs> ago than two years. So yeah. 2017. Um, and, uh, and we then had went into our post-auction three-year transition phase where we assigned channels to uh, uh, one of 10 phases. Uh, as you said, the digital te- conversion of 10 years ago all happened on the same day. That can't happen here because we have daisy chains of stations with interference considerations that we had to accommodate, which means that in some instances, in order for channel 12 to move to channel 14, the channel 14 station needed to move to channel 9, and they couldn't all do that at one time. It had to be carefully choreographed and sequenced. And so we are in that three-year process. We are now in phase two out of the 10. Uh, so we've had a number of stations move. Uh, as you said, we had some stations that were incentivized to by wireless carriers to move early, uh, even before our phase one. Uh, so we uh, we have moved a lot of stations already, uh, and um, and we're going to be continuing that. The last phase ends in July of 2020, so another year and a couple months. Got it. And of course. Things are going well, and the FCC did win an award. But this does this something of this scale does not happen without challenges. So, Hillary, you know, just in your experience working on this, what has been the biggest challenge that you've faced, or some of the biggest challenges? You mentioned weather and other things, but anything more related to your basically your day job? <laughs> yeah, I think that the, um, the the weather challenges are 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 quite real, and we're going to be keeping an eye on that. I think everybody's well aware that we've had some severe weather incidents um, in many many. Uh, DMAs, uh, designated market areas nationwide, and we've had to keep a close eye on how that's affecting our rollout. In addition to that, the linked station sets um, that um, we've got to transition are a priority for us. Um, That's the daisy chains that Gene was referring to. Uh, That's where one station can't move on its own without being cognizant of the plans of the stations that will um, either cause or receive interference as a result of their move. Kind of like a domino effect. Exactly like a domino effect. And those stations know who they are, and some of the groups are um, rather large, and they need to coordinate with one another in a manner that um, is cooperative and um, gets to an end result that has everyone achieve what they need to achieve. So we're going to be working very closely with stations in these linked sets as we go through uh, some of the uh, upcoming phases, four, five, and six um, on our horizon in particular. All of the stations have been assigned to regions, and each one has a regional coordinator, and those regional coordinators have been actively working with stations in the link sets already and are going to continue to reach out to them proactively to make sure we know what's going on and that no one's overlooked uh, stations that are in those link sets or failed to coordinate a plan that could have implications for other stations. So I think those are the things we're going to be looking really closely at as we go into the next few phases. All right. So to close out the show, let's take it back to what the average person might need to know about this, of course. So I already made an error in the prep for this show. So it just shows that this is complicated. And uh, let's bust some myths. So, Gene, channels are not changing, correct? If I am a viewer and I watch Channel 4 and it's my favorite channel, when I rescan, Channel 4 is not going to be on Channel 10, right? So what would happen if I didn't change it? So, so you're absolutely right, and that's an important thing to, for viewers to understand, is that their channels that they're used to tuning to for their favorite shows are still going to be the same channel. Channel 4 is going to remain Channel 4. But what is happening is behind the scenes in your television. And the television right now reaches out, when you tune to Channel 4, it reaches out and pulls Channel 4's current frequency from the airwaves. And that's not Channel 4, that's 
a different frequency. Uh, and, the, and the TV learns to recognize that when you scan it, and then when you turn to channel four, that's what it pulls. If channel four changes its frequency, and your TV hasn't been scanned, you're going to when it when you tune to your channel four to get your favorite program, it's going to, to reach out, and there's not going to be any channel four there, and so you'll get bare screen, you know, that, that gray fuzz that comes on the TV screen uh, until your TV is trained to find the frequency that Channel 4 is now broadcasting on. And that takes a fairly simple process. It's, it's a rescan process. Everybody who has a digital TV or an analog TV converter box had to scan that TV or converter box when they got it to be able to pull the stations off the air. Uh, TVs are not shipped from the factory knowing where they're going and what local stations they're going to have to pick up over the air, so your TV has to be scanned to do that. Um, it's a good idea to scan your TV every once in a while, even without this process, because the TVs, oftentimes, as we talked about, there's lots of sub-channels, multicast channels that are online that have come online since many viewers probably bought their TVs and certainly since they got their analog converter backs, boxes back in 2009. So if they haven't rescanned their TV in a while, chances are they'll find that there's a lot more channels available than they thought they had. But certainly in this context, in our transition context, if a viewer sees a notice saying you need to rescan your, your, your TV on such and such a day, uh, that will need to happen in order to continue to receive that channel. And, uh, and if you don't, uh, uh, and if you see a channel that goes missing, if you're used to watching Channel 4 and all of a sudden you don't see it, you may have missed the notices. It's always a good idea to the first thing you should do is rescan your TV, and it's a simple process. And of course, everything we just said applies to people using an antenna to watch this television. If you are a cable subscriber or you watch cable through a set-top box or through your telephone company or through a satellite company, this will not affect you. You will just continue watching it and you don't have to listen to anything. And there's a reason I waited until 20 minutes into the show to say that because I wanted to string you along. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, so for more information, where can people go to figure out what's going on? Maybe they have not been watching recently and didn't see the PSAs or whatever. I mean, where can they go to get the most up-to-date information? We have a couple of resources available. Um, first of all, let me just repeat that rescanning your TV is not a, a hugely complicated thing. It, it basically, you take your remote and you go to the menu or setup button and you then look for something that says antenna or channel and it'll say auto tune or auto scan and it takes three or four minutes and the TV runs through the, the stations and finds all the channels on their current frequencies and you're good to go. But if you have confusion about that or you need more information, uh, we do have on our website a lot of information about how to rescan and what's happening. Uh, that address is fcc.gov slash TV rescan. Uh, there's even a very handy interactive digital TV map uh, available linked to that site. Uh, which a uh, viewer can put in their home address and pull up all the stations that should be available with a rooftop antenna in that area and be able to know what channels are moving, which ones are what we call repack stations, and what the time frame is that they should be listening for the rescan messages from those stations. And hopefully all of that information will get them to where they need to go. But if there's still confusion or issues and someone needs help, we also have set up a dedicated consumer uh, call center 
that is fully staffed from 8 a.m. to 1 a.m. Eastern time. So no matter what time zone you're in, uh, prime time uh, is available. Uh, help is available if you if you tune in in, in prime time and, and don't have your favorite channel available and you need help. Uh, the number there is one eight 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 call FCC, one eight 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 call FCC, and we have folks. Uh, if you press six for rescan, standing by to help. And we will put that information in the show notes for today's episodes. Just a friendly PSA to the millennials listening. Free over-the-air television is neither illegal nor is it a super sweet life hack that you just figured out. It's been around since you were before you were born. And uh, <laughs> so this information does apply to you as well. Um, but that's it for today. My guests have been Gene Cadu, chair of the FCC's Incentive Auction Task Force. Gene, thanks for joining. Thank you for having us. And Hillary Zanigro, deputy chair of the Incentive Auction Task Force. Hillary, thanks for joining. Thank you very much. Find this podcast in iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave us a review because it will help others find the show. Thanks for listening.